Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with a woman who experienced something so intense yet turned it into the fabric of her gratitudes for life. Allow me to begin with Nicole Hint's written words of the chilling day that shaped the rest of her life. These are her words, everyone. Early one Saturday morning, as a 16-year-old, I rode my bike up the steepest hill to Lynn and Charlie's house, which I did every second Saturday to clean their house. Lynn and Charlie were a hardworking couple who lived on a farm, so they were very early risers. Lynn gave me a job cleaning her house and was teaching me how to save. I would clean the house for two and a half hours, completing all items on the list, and at the end, she would deposit money into a bank account she opened for me. Together, we would then add up how much I had saved. We would also do craft together and sell what we made at the markets on a Sunday. This particular Saturday afternoon, I arrived at their home, knocked on the door, called out, and went inside. There was no reply, so I went down to the shed but again, couldn't find them. I returned to the house and called my dad, who I woke up and I said, dad, I can't find Lynn and Charlie. We both thought it was strange, but I didn't think much of it. I began cleaning the house, wiping down all the surfaces. I noticed empty bullet shells down the hallway. So I picked them up, but not really thinking much of it. They were country people who had parsley crops and I knew they'd had problems with hairs recently. So I just assumed Charlie had gone out hunting during the night and dropped the shells. While I was in the hallway, I noticed their bedroom door half open. So I called out again, but still there was no response. I peeked around the door and could see they were still in bed. I didn't think it was normal, but I continued cleaning anyway, and I would check on Lynn and Charlie from time to time. I even looked in to see if there was movement, which I thought I'd see at one point. A little later, Gavin, Lynn and Charlie's second son, had come home and asked me where his mom and dad were. I said they were still in bed asleep. He looked at me with a puzzled look and went down to the shed and caravan where he lived. More time passed. 
Gavin came back to the house and asked me if they had woken up. By this time, I was a little worried, and Gavin appeared to be worried too, so we both went down to their bedroom and opened the door. What I saw that day will remain, will remain with me for the rest of my life. I ran to the phone and I called my dad and I said, Dad, someone has shot Lynn and Charlie. Dad told me he'd be there soon and he was. I don't think he even got dressed. He was there within what seemed like seconds. He came inside, he went to the bedroom and even though I told him not to, and then I remember seeing my strong father buckle at the knees using the walls to hold himself up. By this stage, Gavin was nowhere to be seen and dad told me to wait outside for my mother. I'm finding Gavin, he said. Mum arrived and she called triple zero, but under the stress, she couldn't remember where she was. So I took over the call and gave them details. I remember at this stage feeling no emotions. I was in shock and I said to mom, why am I not crying? I told mom I was worried because I'd cleaned, all, I'd cleaned up all the evidence. And what if the police thought it was me who had done it? I wanted to know why Lynn and Charlie, I wanted to know why Lynn and Charlie and who would do this to them. They were the nicest and kindest people I'd ever met. The ambulance was the first to arrive and I remember the officers coming up to me and saying, I'm sorry, there was nothing we could do. I didn't say it to them, but I thought like, no shit, tell me something I don't know. I don't remember too much else of what was going on around me, only that my dad had taken control and told the police quite firmly that I wouldn't be going to the police station in the car with Gavin. I will take her myself, he said, which he did. I had to wait at the police station for quite a while until it was my turn to be interviewed. I can't recall much other than that, but people were asking me if I was all right. After growing up, being taught to be polite, I replied that I was all right when I really wasn't. I promised myself I would never say that to someone grieving. Instead, I would say, I know nothing I will say will make it better, but I want you to know I'm here for you. When it was my turn, I was interviewed by a lady who was very kind and gentle towards me. I learned a lot from that terrible experience that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful to be alive because the week before I went to the house, I was with Gavin at the property when he got his guns out. He tried to hand them to me, but I refused to touch them as I'm not fond of guns. I feel very sure that on that day of the event, when he disappeared to his shed, before he came back and he walked into his parents' room, that he was thinking of doing the same thing to me. Although I can never prove that. So I'm grateful to still be here. Although it was emotionally tough for me to get over what happened, I really believe the things I have achieved and the people I have met wouldn't have happened without this event. Wow, Nicole, thank you for allowing me to share that excerpt of your gratitude book that you created for your children. Seriously, I'm so thankful that we get the opportunity to learn how you've allowed this event to shape your life because in reading it, I just, I just couldn't imagine it. I really couldn't. So thank you. And I, I appreciate your openness. No, thank you. Um, I felt quite emotional then, um, obviously reliving it again. Um, these many years later, um, I'm 43 now and I was 16 at the time, nearly 17. And I think that, incident that day really shaped the rest of my life mm. I kind of felt like I grew up overnight wow I mean I, I we did talk about whether to read it and thank you for being so 
open to doing yeah I wondered how how it would feel for you and like when you hear that now that you're 43 and like you said growing up overnight how did you find gratitude for that and gratitudes and call your book that and like did it take years to get to that place um most definitely I I obviously um at the time I had my parents um to support me and they were very protective of me on the day um, and kind of dictated what, you know, what I was to do and that kind of thing, which I was grateful for. Um, but you learn a lot from incidents like that. And, you know, I had counselling. I had a wonderful lady by, she was actually my teacher at high school, by Wendy Callanan, who um, took me under her wings and protected me. Um, so I learned from all those kinds of people. And you do always find it's a choice and I chose to find the good out of a bad situation, not to say that I wanted it to happen. Um, definitely most, I didn't want that to happen, but um, just having the good things that come from it and being able to, to see those good things in amongst the bad. Wow. I, yeah. I, <laughs> it's hard <And> to explain. <laughs> like that feeling of in how you wrote that story. When I first read it, I, I literally said to myself, is this what she's saying? So are you saying that Gavin, like that feeling of knowing that you were lucky to be alive yourself? Like you, you yeah, knew definitely. on some level that it could have been you? Wow. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I, I did think myself very lucky because um, I could have been hurt or, you know, seriously hurt on that day or no longer here. Um, no one will ever know that because I've never spoken to him again, obviously. But um, I think what saved me and how I think about it is that Gavin was deaf and he didn't have a lot of children, uh, a lot of friends growing up and I just treated him like a normal person. Um, so I think my kindness over the years saved me because I did treat him with respect and kindness and um, and I've always done that to everybody. I don't take anyone from face value. Um, so I was hurt on a different level when it happened because I was like, why? Um, why would you do that? Um, and it took me a long time to forgive. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. So I, I think I've always tried to make a conscious decision um, to counter any negative thoughts by paying attention to all the good things that happen in life. and you know, lots of good things happened to that. I created great friendships. I had counselling and learnt the process of grief and learnt to grow as a person from that experience. Yes, did I miss part of my teenage years and childhood? I, I grew up. But um, I think had I not had that experience, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. And I truly believe that. And when you say you grew up, you know, in that moment, I wondered about that too, because I was curious, can you remember any dreams that you had for your life as a little girl pre that event? Do you, do you recall any of that? Like what you kind of dreamt for yourself? Yeah, no, not really, because I've had the next phase of my life, which I think we'll talk about. Um, the next journey has, my memory's not as great. Okay. Um, and it's hard for me to retain some of that stuff. But um Look, funnily enough, I always wanted to be a counsellor at school. <laughs> after um, you had counselling or before? Do you remember? 
before I, I always really? wanted to. Yeah, my it's quite funny because mum would say, oh, Nicole, you would always bring home stray animals, stray people, and just I always attracted that kind of thing. <laughs> so um, it's funny. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. So after, so you wanted to be a counsellor or, you know, that's, you remember that memory from what your mum said. Yeah. Um, and then do you, do you believe that after what happened, what you say grew you up, do you think your dreams changed? Definitely, definitely did. Um, you probably, I probably got a little bit lost. Um, but I think, you know, we all, again, I always say it's about choices and, you know, I could have went down a path of self-destruction, but I chose with the help of my mum and teachers and other key people in my life to work on myself, to find ways to heal and become a better person from the experience. Wow. It's very, it's amazing to, um, to be able to go through this story and thank you for recalling as best as you can. You're doing a great job because you mentioned to me that your dad was a key part. Like even when we're reading that your dad was a key part of that account. And so yeah. you mentioned to me, we shared this actually that you've done the landmark form that you did it a couple of years ago and that you ended up completing with your dad. Can yes. you share what that was all about? So, um, I did, I actually did the landmark forum with my husband and which, you know, I learned about stories that we create for ourselves. And I, after doing that, I, I had an open conversation with my mum and my dad and I thought I wasn't good enough for my dad. I always wanted to please him, but he was quite shocked when I spoke to him about that because it wasn't the case. He, in actual fact, it was quite opposite. He was so proud of what I've achieved and, and, you know, who I've become and, you know, it, it was just, it just opened up those conversations. And I think that as I, the years go on and you continue to learn, um, it's about being vulnerable. So I was vulnerable and courageous to talk to my dad openly. And what came back was um, quite astounding, really. Wow. And creates better relationships. It kind of redefines the definition of courage, doesn't it? Like It does. It does. And um, quite when I was um, recently sick and I was seeing a psychologist, they having a chat to them and he actually recommended that I go and read Renee Brown, The Power of Vulnerability. And that I just fell in love with what she does and talks about. And I follow her and recently visit her in Melbourne. And yeah, I was just so grateful to be able to do that. Wow. It's funny. I'm like, how many people are going to talk to me about Renee Brown in a week? I tell you, I should keep count because I also... Um, have been enjoying her, but it's amazing how many other people do too, or I'm, I'm at least attracting those people into my life. Um, yes. Yeah. She's amazing. She's so amazing. Your, your life, and we may talk about her a bit more in a second. Um, your life has taken many twists and turns. You've alluded to one of them, but let's go there. Um, you've had <laughs> two beautiful children who you dedicated the gratitude book to. You married, you bought a business yep. 13 years ago. And then in 2016, you got the diagnosis like what was yes. it like to hear that you had breast cancer um it's still quite raw to me now um it's probably more emotional now than at the time because I remember at the time I was in kind of like a state of shock um and I think I continue to be in that state of shock throughout the journey it was just over 18 months of treatment and 
you don't feel like you have any control of that journey when you get that diagnosis. Everything else, everyone else takes over the whole medical world and um, you feel that you don't have a choice. You have to do um, all these things that actually make you sick, in my opinion, because when I was diagnosed, I didn't feel sick. Um, And then you take the treatment and you are sick, (laughs) the sickest I've ever been. And, um, yeah, there's nothing you can do but sit back and go through the journey. That must be so strange because there's no logic to what you just said, right? You go in, (laughs) you don't feel sick. They tell you this is exactly what's going to happen and then you get pumped with poison. Yep. And, and, you know, you're lo- somebody says, hey, but this is going to work, you know, but yet it's all in the unseen. So how do you deal with that? How do you like what's the mental, emotional journey like through cancer treatment? And um, for me, um, obviously, everybody has different types of cancer. I truly believe it's a very personal um, journey um, and everybody is different. Some people breeze through it with no side effects. Others don't. And unfortunately, I was one of those that had every side effect that was listed I got and it was a bit of a joke every week okay what's the side effects what am I going to deal with this week um and that kind of sets you on your path but um yeah it's it's horrible to be given something that makes you sick because like I said you aren't sick um and they tell you that you are and it's hard to comprehend that that change when you start to put the poison in you and you get all the different side effects and emotionally was probably worse after I finished the chemo um that was probably the worst part of the journey for me because when you're sick you're just dealing with the symptoms and you're doing the best that you can but then when you look better and everybody says oh you're looking amazing and you just think inside I'm just dying in here I don't feel amazing I feel quite the opposite because physically even though you look different, you're still feeling crap. Effects. Yeah, it's you're not the same person before you start this journey. Um, you definitely aren't. How do you get to know the new person again? Um, a lot of self-help. Um, going to people, like going to, you know, reading books from Brene Brown, um, being around people, talking to people that have been through it. Um, talking to people qualified to talk to um, to make you understand what you're feeling. Um, so, you know, going to counsellors and psychologists and stuff like that. But I think for me, knowing that I was in a bad place and that it wasn't me and I wanted to help myself um, before it became the new norm. So I sort of had the courage, I guess, to, to open up to people and say I need help mm. and wow. accepting that you do need help. Which had, was that a very unlike you before? Yes, very independent. <laughs> very. Um, look, I, as a teenager, you were made to do those things. And it, you know, and probably the, that event when I was 16 helped me be able to come through this because I knew what the process was and um, in terms of grief and how to deal with grief. And then it's different for everybody and you can go through different stages. It's not just a set pattern, but understanding what I was feeling is probably the bit that helped me go, okay, I need help. Yeah, right. Isn't it interesting, This like the, the theme of counsellor, you know, or yeah. therapist or, or guide or something like streaming through your life and, and that was the dream that you had as a little girl. I, find that very I know, it is, yeah. it is. And um, I actually, when I 
finished my chemo, I actually looked at enrolling to do a a counselling course because I'm I'm actually a real estate agent, but it's quite funny how you have to talk to people through different circumstances. And today is a perfect example of that as I went out to a house to appraise the property and it's funny what the world throws at you. And I walked in and I'd sold the house to them four years ago. And because I have a little bit of memory lapsed from chemo, I couldn't quite picture everything together. And I happened to mention that I'm sorry, I don't remember some things because I'd been through treatment and she opened up and told me that they lost their daughter to brain cancer at the age of 36 this April just gone and um I was like oh my gosh I you know got a bit teary and a bit upset and you know and I I take things from what I my experience when Lynn and Charlie passed away and everybody that day asked me are you okay so I didn't don't ask people that I ask what can I do for you is there anything I can do to make a difference today Hmm. um and I think that's important because people when you go through something don't know how to uh, talk to you so Mm -hmm. they either choose not to talk to you or they say something inappropriate (laughs) is that going to be your next book are you going to write about that um I definitely do want to do a second edition of my gratitude book because I feel that um there's more to the story now um to add to it and look I don't see myself as a writer or even anyone that's inspiring it's just me being raw and if I can help somebody then my job's done the you made me think about um I think it's called the book is called plan b and it's the cfo I think of facebook and she her husband died and she writes in conjunction with her therapist, this book about how no one could deal with her in her grief. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was really great. Like, and that's, you thought it's a conversation that's not really being had. And, and I thought it, I think about it a lot when I'm talking to people and it was a lot about how people cross over to the other side of the road and if they saw her coming and yeah. their own awkwardness created, you know, they were trying to avoid her and like she'd go into these meetings and it's just, yeah. And I completely different person. Yeah. And that, that's what happens I think to me. And it was my husband who um, can be very logical at times um, and very keeps me balanced. Um, I was having trouble dealing with people. Um, I was getting quite frustrated and I was getting angry and then I was feeling guilty because why should I be angry when I've had the opportunity to, still be here and it was just conflicting emotions in my head and he said to me Nicole nobody else has changed you have changed your expectations of people are different (laughs) Um, and that made me yeah that made me actually a heap better because I was like oh yeah I am different oh yeah they did do that previously they never picked up the phone and called me I was always the one calling them and now I expect more from them and you know so I think he helped me through that change or identifying that I had changed obviously when he first said it I took great offense to it what do you mean (laughs) as we do when our husbands make these very um you know powerful declarations how dare you be so intelligent right now (laughs) yeah that's not what I want to hear yes honey don't solve me (laughs) Um, however what a what a comment actually because there's a a quote about 
if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And to me, that's almost the aftermath of what your husband's saying, like your eyes changed. Yeah. And I think the things you are looking at have changed just through talking to you just this little bit. But I want to know about survivor's guilt because you talked about it. I have heard about it, but I said to you, you know what? I don't even know what that means. So please. I had it today. And um, sorry. Yeah. So I walked into the house that I was about to appraise and she told me that she'd lost her daughter and I just burst into tears (laughs) Um, because it's an emotion of, why does someone else have to suffer? And you can probably hear it in my voice now. Mm-hmm. So I walked into this house and this lady that's lost her life at the age of 36 had her two-year-old son there. And to me, that's not fair. It's not saying that I want that to happen to my children, but it doesn't make the guilt of why did I get choked? Why have I been able to survive and someone else hasn't? Um, and unfortunately, through my cancer journey, I've lost quite a few people. Um, uh, younger than me and it it didn't make my journey easier it probably messed with me quite a bit yeah and does it come like today you're at work so yeah like here you are oh I can't even imagine that kind of juxtaposition Brene Brown does this very well I think for you know powerful agent selling house talking and crying, you know, like how do you deal with that coming? It's not left field, but kind of, you know, you're there to do your work. And next thing you know, it's very personal. And, and I I love that you actually were so real. How do you, um, I embrace it. Personal Um, question. I can tell. I'm like, this is what I want to know for my life. So how do you do that? How do you actually, um, juxtapose those potentially opposite things? I use, to be really embarrassed by all my emotions that I'm feeling. But um, obviously having read Brene Brown's work and seeing her live in Melbourne, she says you have to have those arena moments. You need to be courageous, to be vulnerable. And and I look at it like a, um, you know, the flower that sits on the lily pads. What do they call those flowers? Oh. Not a lily pad. Oh, uh, the white one. Yeah, or the purple. Oh. What are they called? Water lilies. Water lilies. Well done. Yeah. So you know when they're in a closed up in a bud, the dragonfly or whatever it is that's trying to to get in there cannot penetrate that that flower. And as soon as that flower opens up, it may get hurt, but so much good stuff happens. And that's how I kind of look at the analogy that I use, that I open myself up for what's out there. And yes, I may get hurt, but the good stuff happens when when that, and yes, I may be vulnerable by showing that I have guilt for surviving. Um, Sorry, I don't know if I'm explaining it well enough. I'm um, I'm actually totally in that, this, what you just described I thought was so beautiful and and that's how I visualize it like that flower when you're closed nothing can get inside you um but when you open up all the good stuff happens and yes it might get jumped on by a frog or a bee or but you know all this stuff just happens around it um, someone might smell it someone might pick it um and that and that can happen to us as humans someone can use that event you know, use my weakness. Well, it's not really weakness, but my vulnerability 
against me. But um, if I'm out there having real conversations and taking the layers off, then that's my, how I feel like I need to live the rest of my life and be authentic and real. Can I borrow no, your, your visual? Because it's very... Sure. <laughs> it has a, yeah, it's lovely. I'm, I'm rarely speechless. That's why I didn't answer. I was in the vision. Um, and I mean, speaking of, there, to me, there's an innocence in that example. Yeah, yeah. Flower. And, you know, you're 13 and nine-year-old. That's the ages they were when you were diagnosed with breast cancer. And I always wondered, what is the impact on them when... That's going they're actually they're actually younger that that's their ages now but um oh, okay Tell me. both both my children were affected differently um but what i think i just wanted to say that before i describe what, how it affected to yes, them but please. i think three years down the track i think that's what we are since i was diagnosed i think my children are more resilient for it mm. um and i think that's a great quality to have in our society today to be resilient so did it affect them yes it did um my daughter would not leave my side she wouldn't let me pick up a knife she wouldn't let me go to the bathroom on my own she worried about me she'd come in if i made a noise she'd come running are you okay mommy it it's um it's gut-wrenching and she is a very creative and a very feeling she's probably a lot like me um she loves that soulful connections um so she was affected like that whereas my son he internalizes everything and um, he speaks to his dad in great detail and and it was like a couple of years after i was diagnosed and he, he had a conversation and said dad Mum could have died, couldn't she? And I think the reality of it all hit him and he had his little meltdown and he needs to, so he internalises a lot and then he melts down. So they're both different, but we're all working through it. And like I said, I think they're going to be such resilient children for it. And what does resilience look like? How do you see it manifesting three years later? Um, children that are, happy to work through problems, to look outside the square, um, to ask questions, not to just, it's a, it can be quite challenging <laughs> because they do question um, and it comes back at you and you just think, just do as you're told. <laughs> um, but more empathetic to people, um, you know, they consider others, I don't know, it's, it's I guess it's really, yeah. Yeah, I know you're in Prague. It's happening right now as you speak. So it's, yeah. And I just love knowing how it really looks because that's a word that I think is very um, valued. But, yeah, but and to I, actually I know think, what it looks like is quite. And I think it's some um, children that know that they can work through what their, their emotions and what they're feeling. So my daughter is quite emotional my son doesn't know how to deal with those emotions, um, but he's working on it. And um, so, yeah, it's being able to work through whatever you're experiencing or whatever feelings um, and having a voice to ask questions, just, you know, seek help, talk about it. Um, yeah, it's not something that you ever want to, to have to tell your children. Sure. But it's interesting because it's sort of what you've always done when we think of yeah how we started with that first story and, and being able to have counseling, learn to talk about it. Um, 
And I'm curious, you know, as a business leader with all this life under your belt, what, have, what would you say has been, what have you gained from all these seeming quote tragedies? Like, what do you reckon as a business leader, what, what makes up you now? Um, probably not to give up, um, to put yourself out there when it's uncomfortable um, and, you know, just showing up, I think, and not, I also, it, more empathetic to what's happening out and around you in, you know, when somebody is a little bit aggressive or speaks to you in a tone that you might get your back up, it's like, well, what's going on for them? you know, digging a little bit deeper rather than just taking it for face value. And I think I, I, you know, I say that to my property managers. When someone's coming at you for something, you've got to try and understand what's going on for them. It's not always about you. It's, it can be about what's happening in their life. And if you ask questions and you share yourself, and, and again, that's that word vulnerable, um, it's amazing what comes back and what opens up. And you're having real conversations, not just people lecturing you or you know you haven't done this or and and it's just I guess it's seeking to understand what's happening right it's beautiful um we I'm doing a landmark seminar at the moment and they call it not having cappuccino conversation yes (laughs) which is actually great for Australia in particular because we love a good cappuccino um Mm -hmm. but but I just want to thank you for this conversation and for you know, in so many ways, like offering up a new possibility for life because of what you've been through. And, and like you said, it's about choice and what you've chosen and how you share that. I just, I know you said, you know, you don't really feel it's inspirational. Nobody seems to (laughs) about their own life because you're living it, but um, it is Uh, for me. Anyways, that's my definition of inspiration. So thank you very much for, for just how resilient you've been and courageous and even for sharing what it's been like for your kids. So thank you. No, thank you for um, listening. It's um, been great to speak to you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.